You're listening to Fitness Beyond Aesthetics. I'm your host, Estelle, and I'm super happy you're tuning in today. I'm a certified personal trainer and life coach whose life within the fitness world has been pretty all over the place. After becoming a personal trainer, I quickly realized that most people needed just as much help with their heart and mind, which is why I now fuse fitness and life, because the two cannot be pulled apart. In this podcast, my goal is to help you find confidence, freedom and understanding, and feel at home in the fitness world and explore self-discovery and life topics intersecting with fitness in ways you may not have thought of before. It's time you figure out for yourself what it means to be healthy and make choices you feel confident in that lead to creating a life you love. Welcome to Fitness Beyond Aesthetics. Let's get started. So today we are diving into a topic that I have found is not super well understood by many people, and it is how to recover properly from your workouts or how to just recover, period. And the reason I say not well understood is because oftentimes what comes to people's minds, maybe yours too, when you think of recovery is rest days and maybe like some stretching and foam rolling stuff like that. And the reality is that recovery is so much more than that. It's much more complex. Yes, those things can absolutely be a part of recovery, the rest days, the stretching, the foam rolling, but it goes far beyond this. Your whole body and all the systems in it, they actually work together. So you can't really view this in isolation. Supporting your body in recovery involves your sleep quality. It involves keeping your immune system high. And the reason for this is because if you get sick, you will recover more slowly because your body's distracted. It's putting that on hold because recovery from sore muscles is not the priority when you're dealing with a virus or bacteria or something of that sort. It involves a good mineral balance, especially magnesium. It requires refueling, which is plenty of protein and replenishing glucose stores. And then there are the trends going on with recovery right now, like ice baths. It's also been claimed that this is good for stress and the nervous system as well. And I am not personally a fan of this method. I don't say it's all bad. You know, I'm going to get into this later. I do think that it can teach stress resilience and the power in being present, Um, but I just don't like the adaptions that it makes long-term and how the short-term effects are not actually clearly understood or understood the way that they're portrayed to be. So these fads need to be extra examined. And I know cryotherapy is also a thing. It's very similar to ice baths, the benefits that it says it will offer. But in all honesty, I have to say I have not looked much into cryotherapy itself, and I don't plan on it. I I don't have any desire to learn about it. It doesn't interest me at all. It seems very unnatural, and I'm not saying it might not have any place because I don't know a lot about it. Just the way that it is portrayed seems to be another way to make money off of people. And I believe the benefits it claims to offer can be achieved in other ways. You don't need to go to a $100 session to be cold. I just don't think that's necessary. So I'm going to be going over the things I mentioned, things like sleep, immune system, hydration of minerals, protein and glucose, the ice baths, 
But I'm also going to get into rest days, myofascial release, massage, stretching, red light therapy, managing inflammation, um, movement just in general, and also the psychological aspect of it all as, as well. Because believe it or not, your mindset affects your recovery too. So why is recovery important, period? Like, why do we need to talk about this? Uh, that might seem counterintuitive, uh, but actually your progress happens during recovery. So the exercise, let's say you go to a weightlifting session, that is giving your body the stimulus to make those long-term adaptions, but the adaptions happen during your rest. The, the long-term adaptions are not happening while you exercise. There is a difference between a short-term, like acute adaptions, and then longer-term adaptions. So an example of this is when you start exercising, obviously you uh, like you're running or let's say you're doing cardio or something. You probably notice this. A lot of people talk about it. They'll say, oh, you know, the first like five to 10 minutes are a lot harder than the time following that. And this is because your body is so, so smart and it knows exactly where the blood needs to be distributed in your body. So it's like, oh, let's narrow these these blood vessels. Let's widen these. That controls how much different parts of the body, different organs, different muscles are getting blood flow. Your body is so smart. So this is, this is actually called vasodilation and vasoconstriction. So that is one of the short-term adaptions that will happen during exercise. Obviously, it's not long-term because you stop exercising and your body adjusts back, right? <laughs> but a long-term adaption would be something like uh, your cardiovascular capacity or, you know, how strong you are. Those are longer-term adaptions. Those happen during recovery. So if you want to see this, quote, progress that a lot of people talk about, you need to recover. You need to recover well, and you need to know what's involved in recovery. So the first thing I want to talk about is rest days, because this is probably the, the first thing that comes to people's minds. Rest days are very important. Each muscle group needs 48 to 72 hours of rest before it's worked again, if you have worked it to the proper degree, the degree needed for recovery. Now, if you just went in to move, let's say you walked, did some light weights, your body's not going to need that much time, but it also won't make the adaptions you wanted because you didn't give it enough of a stimulus. So there are different split options when it comes to working out. Like I said, it needs each muscle group needs 48 to 72 hours of rest, but this doesn't mean you need to rest 48 to 72 hours. This is muscle group. So Let's say you worked your full body on Monday. You The earliest you're going to want to work out again is Wednesday, um, possibly Thursday, because that would be 48 to 72 hours. But also, let's say you just did chest on Monday. Well, you could totally go in the very next day and do back or you could do glutes or, you know, you could just work another part of the body. So it doesn't mean you need to rest totally, just means those muscle groups need rest. Now, there are so many different split options in my membership. I actually give you four different split options. So you could work out as little as 
twice a week, and you could work out as much as four or up to five in the later phases if you want. The fifth workout is optional and only in the later phases. Um, so really, there's so many options. You could work out two days, three days, four days, five days, like I said, the fifth day being later on. And usually the more workouts there are, the shorter the workouts are. So I've had questions from some clients like, I don't understand how someone can work out six times a week and, you know, they, they, their body must be under so much stress. They have no time to recover. And that's not true at all. I can understand why people might think that, but it's because they're not working that same body part every single day or even back to back, you know, uh, that's just not how it works. So some people might do like, chest, uh, hamstrings and, and calves and glutes. And then the next day they do back and biceps or they just do back. And the next day they do quads and the day after that they do biceps and then the next day they do cardio. So they're doing something different every time. It's not like they're in the gym for two hours every single day. There's really so many different ways that you could do a split. You could work out seven days a week and still only be working your whole body two times a week really. So what else is there besides rest days or rest days for those muscle groups? Sleep quality. Sleep quality is super important, especially being asleep during the hours of 10 to 2. That's most important because that is when the most in-depth recovery happens. Your body also produces HGH, human growth hormone, during this time, uh, which assists in repairing and growth of muscle tissue. So if you do not sleep enough, you do not sleep mostly during those hours, at least some of those, please, it will, mark my words, it will take longer to recover because that is how your body is designed. So for the sake of this episode, I am going to put myofascial release, so self-myofascial release, because someone can also help you with it, and massage together in the same category, because for this context, they are very similar. And if you are able to get a massage after you work out, that's awesome. I have done that once in my whole life. I had more massages, but only was I able to line it up once after a workout. But obviously, that's not feasible for the vast majority of people, which is why self-myofascial release can be helpful. And if you're not familiar with this term, you might be like, what in the world is self-myofascial release is still? So it's basically foam rolling. So not all foam rolling is self-myofascial release. People can think it is. There are certain techniques that need to be used in order to release the fascia, but we'll just call it foam rolling, you know? So I like to do foam rolling before workouts to help release areas that might inhibit my performance, but it's also great to do after workouts for different reasons because it actually helps to relax the muscles and massage has the same effect, but probably even to a higher degree. Um, and connected to this is stretching. Now, some people put so much emphasis on stretching, and I do think stretching is great. Um, it can be beneficial, especially depending on the kind of training you're performing, um, because it can help prevent stiffness. So especially if you do training like bodybuilding sort of things, and you're not going through the full range of motion of a movement, your body is going to get tight within that range because you're not using the other part of it. So it thinks, oh, we, do, we don't need to use this part. So let's just not even, let's just tighten up because we don't need to use it, right? So for example, just to give you guys a visual, 
let's say you're doing squats and I'm not saying you need to go all the way down. Everyone's body's built a little bit differently, but again, this is an example. Let's say it would be ideal for you to squat all the way down, like bottom almost touching the floor. But within your program, you only squatted to parallel. Your body is going to tighten up. Like your hips will get really tight. Your ankles will get tighter because you are not using that bottom range. So that's just one example. Uh, We do this same sort of thing within other movements like shoulder press. When I do shoulder press, I like to go all the way down to where like my hand is almost by my shoulder. Some people, they only go down until the their bicep is like parallel with the ground. That's a much shorter range of motion. I'm not saying there can't be a place for that, but we have to be honest about the effects of these different kinds of training. So when you do not train your full range of motion, yes, stretching should be done because your body will tighten up um, because you didn't give it a stimulus to tell it that it needed that range. So if you don't use that range, it loses that range. It's the same concept of like use it or lose it. (laughs) You have to use that range or else you will lose that range. So stretching, it can be beneficial when done immediately afterwards. It might not help with uh, soreness per se, but it can help with stiffness if you weren't performing full range of motion. Uh, Now, beyond that, we come to hydration, like fluids, minerals, and magnesium. Uh, Magnesium is a mineral. I'm kind of separating it in this context, and you'll, you'll understand why in just a minute. So you've probably been told that you need to rehydrate after your workouts. And yes, you should rehydrate. You should be hydrating little by little all the way through your workouts. That's how I see it. (laughs) But it isn't just plain filtered water that your body needs. If you think about nature, we were supposed to be drinking like mineral water from nature, right? So it's really these minerals that our body needs. That's how water was supposed to be. So things like potassium, sodium, magnesium. So don't just think about like, oh, I'm just going to go get some tap water or some water out of the, um, what's it called? fountain at the gym. So I'm not saying that's always wrong or that you can't do that, but I just want to teach you about what your body wants. So your body's wanting things like potassium, sodium, and magnesium. And you can get these in like electrolyte packets, sure, like you may have heard of Element or L-M-N-T. And um, I probably think that's the best one out there if you're going to get it from a packet. The only things I'm not a huge fan of are um, in within the ingredients, there's natural flavors and stevia leaf extract. Um not the end of the world, you know, like there are way worse things we could be eating than those. But I just want to be fully transparent about my thoughts on those. Like, sure, like if you want to have one like once a week, not a big deal at all. Um, You probably won't need them as much in winter as you do in summer when it's like hotter and you're sweating a lot more. But there's other ways to get those same exact minerals. Um, I have never personally tried Element. I know lots of people love it. I have not personally tried it because I just don't get the, I just don't need, you know, a packet. I, I do things like coconut water and sea salt. Coconut water has potassium, sea salt has the sodium. Um, you can also do cream of tartar or tartar, however you say that, um, because that's high in potassium. So you could do things like um, water, 
coconut, not coconut, um, orange juice, cream of tartar and sea salt. So as long as you have things that provide that sodium and that potassium, those are, that's a really good mineral source for your workout either during or after. Um, and this does not, so those things I mentioned, they have the potassium and the sodium. This does not give you the magnesium, but you can get this in other ways. Now I don't really supplement many things. The only two things I supplement are vitamin E and magnesium, um, unless I'm doing some kind of protocol or whatever. And with that, I will have like been specifically told by a nutritionist that I need these things. It's not something I just randomly guess at. So vitamin E and magnesium, that's it. So magnesium is the first mineral to go when you are under stress. And I want to reiterate that all minerals interact with each other. So if you don't have a balance of sodium and potassium, and all of a sudden you start mega dosing magnesium, it might not go well. So I'm not telling you to go start taking a bunch of magnesium that it could go well for you, but it might not. <laughs> That's not up for me to say. I can only provide this as educational content. So I, um, I supplement with magnesium glycinate because there are many different forms of magnesium that react differently in the body. The two that I know about that are probably best are glycinate and bicarbonate. I think there's another kind that's pretty bioavailable. Um, again, knowing all about supplements is not my like top expertise, obviously. I don't talk about things that I don't know or share things that I'm uncertain of. Um, but this glycinate and bicarbonate I know are more bioavailable than most other sources. They The, the human body tends to deal with them best. Um, I will say that the glycinate can make you a little bit sleepy. It's not like a sleeping pill, maybe just like a chamomile tea, you know? So um, if you do choose to have magnesium glycinate, that's probably best before bed. Another way you could go about getting magnesium in your um, in your body, I don't even want to say in your diet in this way, um, because you're not eating it, would be Epsom salts and magnesium flakes. And this is because your skin is an organ, so it's actually going to absorb the things that you put on it, just like it absorbs lotion. It's going to absorb the magnesium within Epsom salts and magnesium flakes. Magnesium flakes would be preferable because it's magnesium. Epsom salts have other things in them, but it is very very high magnesium content. The only thing I caution against is if you choose to do this, make sure you choose one with no fragrances because we don't want to be absorbing those um, fake fragrant fragrances into our body. Sometimes even like essential oils, especially like lavender can be very estrogenic. And so we want to limit that. So even if it's like, oh, there's lavender and um, magnesium in it, it, it you still just want to be careful. I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world, of course, but just sharing this with you so that you can make an, an empowered decision. Now, uh, we don't just want to replenish uh, minerals. We also want to replenish glucose stores and provide protein. Now, I've given this uh, kind of baseline several times before, but with protein, you ideally want to be getting at least one gram of protein per pound of body weight if you want to build muscle. Um, now I do not recommend protein right before workout because it is 
much more complex and it takes more time for your body to break apart. It has a very high thermogenic effect because it is very complex, not quite as complex as fat, but much more complex than a carbohydrate. So protein is not the best thing right before a workout. If you're having like a meal a couple hours before, that's a different story. But I'm talking about like, oh, I'm going to have a snack because I'm going to go work out soon. Maybe don't have a ton of protein. Maybe, yeah, sure, some can be in there, but don't make it like, oh, I'm going to have a beef stick now. Like maybe have higher carbohydrate, lower protein before your workout. And then after your workout, you're providing your body what it needs to refuel, which would be higher protein moderate carbohydrates. And also when it comes to forms of carbohydrates, you may have heard the difference between like simple and complex carbs or um, fast and slow carbs. So uh, basically fast carbohydrates are things that break down very quickly and enter your bloodstream. Uh, slower carbohydrates are things that take a little bit more breaking down, maybe have a little bit more fiber in them um, that will break down more slowly. So again, pre-workout, we want energy like immediately. So that's the time for like faster carbohydrates. And you can totally have those faster carbohydrates post-workout. Um, but if you do want to have slower carbohydrates, post-workout would be the time to have them. Now, the reason we need to consume these carbohydrates, I feel like protein's kind of an obvious one, but carbohydrates, maybe not so much. So the reason we need to consume them is because we need to replenish glucose stores. Glucose is stored in your liver and in skeletal muscle. Glucose is like the first thing that your body uses when it's working out. Like it wants glucose more than anything else. So it's going to use your glucose stores before it uses <laughs> anything else. So you're going to have gone through some of them if not most of them, depending on how long you're working out. So you need to replenish. And like I said, it's stored in the liver and skeletal mus muscle. So we are putting the glucose back where it came from so that we can do that again. Now, this also ties into sleep here. Many people that don't eat enough or enough carbohydrates will find themselves waking up around two o'clock because their liver runs out of glucose. And because liver's doing work when you're asleep. So to prevent this, you can actually have a very little bit of like carbohydrate or glucose. So in case you don't know, glucose is just more broken down carbohydrate. So things like honey, maple syrup, those sorts of things. Like when I say glucose, I'm talking about carbs. So you can have a very little bit of glucose before you go to bed. So this could be like one bite of ice cream. Like go get, oh man, what's the brand? This brand is so good. It's actually very high quality ice cream. Um, boom, boom, boom. Okay. I'm going to find it and put it in the show notes, but Strauss, Strauss vanilla ice cream. So good. If you just have like one bite or two bites of that before bed, you'll probably sleep a little bit better. You could also have a couple bites of low to non-fat yogurt, a couple dates, something like that. That's very easy for the body to digest. So while the body can create glucose. So let's say you totally ran out and your body's like, okay, we don't have enough glucose now to store or to uh, fuel the body. Your body can create it, but that is actually a survival mechanism. And it teaches the body that it's under stress. When your body has to tap in to these things that it's capable of, but does not prefer to do, it teaches the body that there is a threat. Now, threats are stressful. So 
(laughs) This is a stressful experience for your body. And we don't want it to have to do that. Just because your body's able to do that doesn't mean we want to force it to do that. And that's actually what keto does, which while it can feel good short term, it actually does long term damage because it is so stressful for the body. Now, I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but a couple other things I thought of that I wanted to bring in were red light therapy and acupressure mats. So red light therapy is an infrared light and it assists with cellular repair, reduces inflammation. It's also great for pain and healing injuries. It repairs muscle tissue and it's just a great form of light, especially for nighttime. Um, So if you're able to get like a low flicker red lights, infrared lights, I actually have them in my house and I get them on Amazon. I think, I don't know, like two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, Philip and I, we got a six pack of these on Amazon for like 20 something bucks. Who knows? They could be more than two and a half years ago, but it was very affordable and we have not had to switch them out since we still have like three of them left. And we put those around the house and we turn on those lights at night. And because it's low flicker, it's also much better for your nervous system. Um, so if you're not familiar with what flicker is, is um, if you were to, so you can try this, you can take out your iPhone and film your lights in slow motion. So y- your eye, like consciously, like you are not going to see the flicker, most likely, unless it's a very bad flicker. <laughs> um But if you get, if your lights are low flicker, you will not see the flicker on slow motion. Now, I know my lights, if I film it on slow motion, it almost looks like there's a disco happening in my house. No joke, you guys. Um, So it is very important for me to use these low flicker lights um, that are red, red light, and for red light in the evenings because it helps to calm the body. So while you, your brain might not consciously be seeing this flicker, you it can sense it and it raises the stress response. So using the low flicker and the red light can help to calm the body, which also assists in the recovery. Uh, now, moving on from that, the acupressure mat, this, the acupressure mat, I feel like it is not very well understood. All I can share is my like personal experience and that of clients. Like clients love this thing so much they fall asleep on it. They just feel so good, so calm, their muscles relax. And that's exactly what I've personally experienced too. I've been using it actually since to 2017 and I got into it not even for recovery and I still don't prioritize it as that method but it can help with that which is why I want to share I actually started using it because my period cramps got so 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 bad during that time so bad like intolerable and I didn't want to rely on painkiller um to ease the pain. Like I wanted to not have to take that. So I had heard about an acupressure mat and I thought I'll try anything. So I started laying on an acupressure mat 20 minutes every night before I went to bed and I did not have to take painkiller anymore. I still had some pain, but it was not excruciating. I actually would say it was probably less than that of an average period. Um, fast forward to now, I have very little pain, um, but that's not just due to the acupressure mat. That's due to other things I've done to uh, assist my body. But 
it shows that there is power there within the acupressure mat. So it it has been shown that it promotes deeper sleep. So you're going to get better sleep, which helps with recovery, uh, pain reduction. It is extremely relaxing mentally and for the muscles. It relieves muscle tension. And like I said, I discovered it because it helped with period pain, but it has so many other benefits. So you might want to look into that. A lot of people right now are obsessed with a prana mat and prana mat seems fine to me, you know, like it seems good, but in my opinion, it is way overpriced and you can get something just as good for a fraction of the price. So I am going to link in the show notes, the acupressure mat that I use. Um, and I love it. It's great. I lay on it almost every night before bed and I will forget that I'm laying on it. <laughs> uh, so I think the last thing I wanted to talk about, oh, before I get into the my chat on the ice baths is active recovery. So I don't mean working out recovery. I just mean moving, you know, so you really should be active while you're recovering. And the reason for this is because it assists in circulation. And if you don't move again, you're teaching your body that you don't need that range. So it's going to stiffen up and it's not going to heal as quickly or in a good way. So go on walks, do some mobility work, stretch, take your joints through their full range of motion. This increases blood flow and promotes healing. Now you may have listened to all these things. I've just blobbed out into this podcast, uh, but you do not need to do all of them. I do not share this with you to overwhelm you, to make you feel like I have to do all these things. Some of these things are super easy, like the red lights, not going to take any of your time. Acupressure mat, you probably lay in bed scrolling on your phone or reading before you go to bed. You can just like plop this on your bed and lay on it. So these things, not all of it even has to take your time. Um, Or, you know, like the element, the minerals, that's just like swapping something out. So not all of these have to take your time. But my point being, I don't share with this to overwhelm you. I want to help you see that a body that functions well will recover well. It's all connected. So do not just limit your recovery to just stretching and rest days. It is so much more. So now let's get into talking about the ice baths. What is the deal with ice baths? So many athletes do this to relieve inflammation, to reduce muscle soreness. People swear by it. They say they experience more energy, reduced inflammation, and some of it do it to train like their vagus nerve and work on breathing. But you don't need to get in a tub full of ice to do that. You you don't need ice to do that. And I, I do personally think that it's possible to, that these that it provides the benefits to some people. But really, you guys, the evidence is not conclusive. The places or, um, you know, like businesses, um, the, the, the people claiming all of these wonderful things are the places that sell the ice baths. So of course they're claiming that because they want you to, to buy their ice bath. I get it. Um, but if you look into cold exposure, you've probably heard of a guy named Wim Hof. I heard of Wim Hof probably um, early 2015. And um, he is someone, he's probably like the king of cold exposure. He goes into like insanely freezing temperatures for very long periods of time. And he does this breathing method to adapt. 
And he he swears by it. And people go on these retreats to learn how to do it. Anyways, uh, one claim of ice bath people, what, what the ice bath gurus claim is that it can help to reduce brown fat or... um. Yeah, I can't. There's different kinds of fat, anyways. So it reduces this kind of fat. Uh, uh, it increases the kind of fat that's like more metabolic. And so there was a, a study done actually with Wim Hof, and uh, he has a twin brother um, that does not engage in cold exposure, and uh, they had the same amount of brown fat. So it didn't change. So. That, you know, who who knows what there is to say about that. It's just that I don't see enough conclusive evidence. And a lot of the research being done for to see what long-term adaptions there are, people say like, oh, it helps prevent heart disease and some cancers and da-da-da-da-da. You're like, wow, I have to do this. But the thing is that the research doing done, being done, sorry, for these long-term adaptions are being done on very different groups of people with probably fundamental differences aside from cold exposure. So take, for example, a person who goes swimming, like freezing cold swimming almost every single day, and then a person who works at home. They're probably going to have fundamental differences in their lifestyle, the choices that they make that will result in different long-term adaptions. So this was not isolated. They're not taking people with the exact same lives and one person is doing cold exposure and the other isn't. So we really can't say if it was beneficial or it wasn't. Many factors are not being taken into consideration and some studies are are only done on healthy young men. So we we can't say, and I'm not saying that ice baths don't have any benefit. I'm just saying the claims being made are not um, put on a solid foundation. They're not being built on a solid foundation. I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but do we have enough to believe it? Mm, not really. Now, let's go a little bit beyond that because people honestly love ice baths. And I don't want to tell people to not do something they love um, that I am not necessarily an expert in. I'm only sharing what I know about this. So what I've noticed from observing people when they talk about their ice baths is it almost sounds like they're doing a drug. Um, that's just what it sounds like to me. Like they're, It's almost like they they have like this insane love for it <laughs> it's like different like beyond like i enjoy my coffee in the morning it's like it changes their person so something else i've noticed um and i used to deal with this too now i didn't do ice ba- ice baths but when i exercised a lot uh and i was very unhealthy actually i thought i felt really good i thought oh i have so much energy when I do this. Um, and that's because of cortisol. Cortisol can feel very energizing. It's like a, it, like adrenaline too. It can feel very like, whoo, I just got a huge like spike of energy there. I feel amazing, like a dopamine rush. So these, these hormones like adrenaline, cortisol, dopamine, I think that these are all just pulsing through your body when you get into an ice bath because your body is going into shock and it is trying to adapt and these hormones like no hormone is bad every hormone has a place 
But what I want to say about these things, adrenaline, cortisol, dopamine, sometimes we can label these as like, oh, dopamine is like the love drug, cortisol is the stress hormone, adrenaline is when you're, you know, being chased by a bear or whatever. These hormones feel good. They feel really good. It's kind of like a roller coaster. I like to give this um, example. Um, If you are someone who is afraid of roller coasters, you know, when you get to like the very, very top and you're like, oh no, why did I get on this ride? And all you can think about is your life. Everything else goes away. That's what it seems like ice baths do to people from what I've observed. It's like it it wakes you up. It makes you feel alive in the moment and present because there is nothing else you can possibly focus on in that moment. And it gets you out of your head and you are like 100% present. Like, how do I breathe? How do I stay alive? How do I do this? And there's something to that too. So while I don't think that ice baths are conclusively beneficial um, in a physiological way, I think that for some people, they can prove beneficial in a mental way. And sure, those do overlap. But my bottom line here is that you don't need to get into a tub of ice to do that. So if that's your thing, that's fine. This is honestly just my take on it and what it seems the the current evidence is. Um, so if you want to keep doing it, by all means. But if you're someone listening to this and you're like, oh man, do I really have to like, would ice baths really help? Like, and you're just, you're not in love with the idea, but you're really feeling like, should I do that? You don't have to. You do not have to do that. There are other ways, a a myriad of other ways that I just talked about (laughs) of ways to support your recovery. I have I ever done like an ice bath? I've gotten really cold water after really hot water before. Um, but it, it wasn't for recovery. It's kind of just like when you're kids and or you're young and you're just messing around. Um, I've recovered just fine for years and years and years and never gotten in an ice bath. So you don't have to do that. Um, it, it really is a stressor and I don't see it as a necessary one. When you expose your body to such cold consistently, it will metabolically downregulate to be able to handle it. And in that moment, in that very moment you're in the cold, it may upregulate to keep you warm, but long-term it does the opposite because it's it's adjusting to its environment. When you do something consistently, it perceives it as part of its environment because it is. You brought it into that environment. So you could reduce inflammation and muscle soreness and possibly train your vagus nerve with that, maybe, but you could also do it a million other ways and you don't need to submerse yourself in ice to do it. So I hope that all was helpful. Again, I did not share all of that with you to overwhelm you and make you feel like you need to do all the things. I just want you to have more tools in your toolbox and know the place that they have and the benefit that they are going to provide for your body. It is not intended to overwhelm you. So I will be back next week here with an episode all about mobility. How is it different from stretching? How can you incorporate it into your life? How is it going to help you see faster and better progress in the gym or your home gym, whatever you're doing? How is it going to assist in pain-free movement, freedom of movement, and also connecting to your body? So until next time, friends, thank you so much for tuning in. Are you on the journey to achieve a healthier lifestyle but find it challenging to get all the nutrients you need from your regular diet? Look no further than Perfect Supplements. 
Perfect Supplements is a leading provider of high-quality, all-natural supplements designed to support your well-being and help you reach your health goals. Whether you're an athlete striving for peak performance, a busy professional seeking more energy, or simply someone who wants to improve their overall vitality, Perfect Supplements has something for you. They are committed to sourcing the purest and most potent ingredients to create products that are free of harmful additives, fillers, and synthetic chemicals. You can trust that what you're putting in your body is of the highest quality and genuinely beneficial. One of my favorites is their grass-fed collagen. It's fantastic for supporting joint health, promoting radiant skin, and strengthening hair and nails. Plus, it's sourced from grass-fed, pasture-raised cattle, ensuring that you get the best quality collagen available. And for you guys, they're offering an exclusive discount. Head over to their website at perfectsupplements.com and use the code Estelle at checkout to get 10% off your order. That's Estelle, my name, E-S-T-E-L-L-E. And what's even better is when you buy three, you save 20%. When you buy six, you save 25%. Stack that with my code Estelle, E-S-T-E-L-L-E, for that additional 10% off and you get up to a total of 35% off. Take a step towards a healthier you with Perfect Supplements. The link is in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I know you could have been doing other things, listening to other podcasts, but you listen to mine. So thank you. If you appreciated this episode, share it with a friend, family member, coworker, anyone else you think could benefit from it, even on your social media. And if you want to go the extra mile, leave a review. I know I might sound like a voice just coming through your headphones or your car stereo, but I am a real person as are you. And when I read your kind reviews, it truly warms my heart and it also helps my podcast grow and reach more people. Lastly, I want you to remember that this podcast is for you. So if there's a topic you'd like to hear about, let me know. Send me an email at estellecfitness at gmail.com. That's Estelle, the letter C, word fitness. So E-S-T-E-L-L-E, the letter C in the word fitness at gmail.com. Or send me a DM on Instagram at Estelle C Fitness. Signing off now. I'll talk to you guys later.